Hey folks, it's me, John, and you're listening to Saul Searching on the FYIZ podcast feed. My guest this time is my friend Becca Eaton, and we talk about the fourth episode of the sixth season of Better Call Saul. It's called Hit and Run. It was directed by Ray Seahorn and written by Ann Shirkus. And now, here's Saul Searching. Becca, thank you so much for coming back on Saul Searching. Yeah, thank you for having me back. Um, you know, I, I, I think the last time you were here was a couple episodes ago, so I would like to hear some of your thoughts about the intervening episode uh, that dealt with Nacho's fate, but I'm glad to have you back for this one because I think it's kind of a cool thing that it was directed by Ray Seahorn, the actress yeah. whose work as Kim on screen we've been raving about ever since we started talking about this show. Yeah. And you know what? That actually just occurred to me because I knew it before and was just looking at something that she directed it. And I was trying to think where I might have seen some touches from her directorially. Um, mm -hmm. And I can't think of any immediately. So hopefully I think of some at some point. I mean, this show has such a style to it. This might be the first time that a cast member has been tapped to direct an episode, as far as I know. Um, yeah, as far as I remember, which seems surprising only, well, mm. Only because they have such amazing actors on that show. And like the people with really long storied careers, you'd think, you know, and sometimes towards the end of a TV series, they'll kind of let each actor take an episode. Like they did that a lot on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Everyone kind of got a shot at directing an episode, but also that was a sitcom. <laughs> you start to see which actors have been sort of like shadowing the director's on the show and like watching what the directors are doing and like which actors have that curiosity about what's happening on set, you know, like um, mm -hmm. different show, but Ozark, Jason Bateman is is like an active creative force behind that show. And yeah. his original intention was to direct the whole first season. And he was like, well, I'll act in it if that means I get to direct it. And then it ended yeah. up being much more of an actor's thing for him. But just the idea of someone who's grown up on sets or been on sets a lot, like, you know, if you're an actor on a set, you can hang around with the crew and learn a lot of things, or you can poke around and maybe annoy the director and the producers by asking what's going on. But I mean, it's the, the people who have that kind of curiosity, I've always gotten the impression that Ray Seahorn is that sort of actor who's just, I mean, she's a painter as well as an actor. And if you've oh, seen wow. her paintings, they're yeah. actually quite excellent. So she just seems like she's a kind of a dedicated creative person like that, which I, I would think on your fifth, sixth season of a show, you would be like, you know, you would have gotten to know those other parts of it. And and, and I think too, um, this show has shown such a path, like people have gone from writer's assistant to writing episodes and, and directing episodes and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I think there is this idea that the team, we always talk about like this creative team that makes this show. I think that's one way that it happens is that maybe maybe that, that grace note, that sixth season thing, if there's an actor who's who's shown a curiosity about that side of the process, why not yeah. give them an episode to kind of springboard what might become a directing career for them, you know? Yeah. And it seems important on a show like this where uh, it only occurred to me watching it that did Kim and Mike not meet before this moment to have gone all the way into the last season of a show and have several main characters that haven't even really crossed paths before. Mm -hmm. uh, it probably is really important for them to hang around on set and watch other people's scenes and watch how they're directed and get an understanding of their motivation. Well, yeah, you hear these people talk about how friendly they are with each other, but then the fact that they've never shared a scene, I think on a show like, um, I'm trying to think of what show that used to happen on all the time. I guess Game of Thrones was the one I was thinking of where it was like yeah. certain actors have just never been in the same scene. I think Lost had some of that too, where you would go, oh yeah, these two characters haven't really had any reason to interact. Um, you, yeah. You would think they would find more opportunities, but this show in particular has been very true to that idea. Even Jimmy and Mike have had... I swear there's a season that goes by where all they do is to have like one conversation in a diner or something. It's not the yeah. it's not the Jimmy and Mike show like you might have thought it would be when you heard, oh, they're doing a, a Saul Goodman show and Mike's coming over. You might have thought, oh, yeah, those two together, it's going to be wacky. But they've been very realistic about like, no, Mike wouldn't really want to hang out with this guy and Jimmy wouldn't really want to hang out with this guy. So like yeah. how often can fate throw them together before they're officially in cahoots? Nacho is another character, and I guess this is a good segue. Mm -hmm. He's another character who didn't interact with a lot of the plot lines 
that we've yeah, had. Yeah, and the I show. was I was just thinking I saw a behind the scenes picture of him and the actor that plays Howard. I I don't remember his name, but it was just really weird. I was like, oh, I've literally never seen them stand next to each other because why would they? I mean, you'd have to remember. Did they pass each other in the hallway in the courthouse or something? Maybe, but I don't think so. And same with uh, yeah. Michael McKean, who played Chuck, who's now a yeah. distant memory in terms of uh, you know viewing this show. But he, I think you know he and Michael Mando, the the actor that plays uh, Nacho, they they've had. Yeah. I've seen pictures of them together and like posts back and forth on Twitter. And so it's like, again, clearly there's a very family-like atmosphere if you're it on It seems show. like a really close set, which is great. Um, and yeah, thoughts on the last episode. Yeah, how did you feel losing that member of the family? <laughs> Sad. <laughs> I miss him already. Um, that was an incredible episode and such a good arc. And I'm really sad that it ended so early. Um I think I said something about this last time we talked or maybe just texting, but um, just the juxtaposition of Nacho scenes with Kim and Jimmy's scenes felt so it, it just felt off to me just because Nacho's have been so literal life or death for so long now. Um, and Kim and Jimmy have it feels like what they've been up to is hijinks that are so much less stakes. And we know that they're building up to really big stakes. Um, so it definitely felt weird coming down from that really, really intense episode into something that was a, just a little bit more building the dread of what's going to happen with Kim and Jimmy. And you know, it's going to be crazy. And they're just laying a lot of groundwork right now. Um, but yeah, that Nacho episode was amazing. Well, I mean, I think there's an interesting thing about that Nacho thing going into this one, because it's like, we remember Nacho, and we know that probably he's about to come back and haunt the story to some extent. But it's almost part of the tragedy of Nacho that, okay, back in Albuquerque, it's business as usual. No one, Nobody knows what that this guy like if, if it may it wouldn't even make the news you know what i mean like yeah. you would never hear of it and that's the reason i say that is because i think on the wire there were some instances in the last season at least maybe one of a character that died that like um i can't remember his name now but he was like one of the nicer uh drug dealers <laughs> on, mm -hmm. the, on the wire the guy who ran the flower shop the one who was really sweet i feel like maybe there was a moment where after he's died as part of this drug war we hear at the newspaper, we hear two reporters talking about the story. And you wouldn't even catch that it was the character we know because of the name. It wasn't his street name. It was his real name. But it was just this yeah. little stab in the heart of like, oh, yeah, to these guys, that that's like, oh, yeah, did you hear about this? This guy, got th this another another drug dealer got killed. Another person died in the yeah. drug war. Uh, and yet to us, we know that he was, a you know, like a a sweet guy who was one of the more likable characters on that show. Anyway, I just, I think that sometimes shows have to sort of own up to the fact that no, Jimmy wouldn't be crying over Nacho. Uh, Kim wouldn't be crying over Nacho, but we, we still may hear more about that. And I do think for Jimmy to use Nacho's name so casually on Breaking Bad, not that that's what this show is intended to lead up to exactly. I think, I think they will pay some homage to that idea that that name will be on Jimmy's mind because of some stuff. It'll that have happens. to be. Yeah. It'll have to be because at this point, I, and also it could be my bad memory. And if it is, I'm very, very sorry for wasting time talking about it. But um, it's been a long day for both of us. It's all right. <laughs> it has been. Um, I mean, so this could be just an aside. Was Jimmy aware of the whole plot with Nacho leaving the gate open? I don't think he would be, but I could see how if Lalo becomes an antagonist to him, I could see how learning more about what went down and learning from Mike what went down, I could see the line right. of information to Jimmy or to Kim and then from Kim to Jimmy. You know. Yeah, interestingly, it, it seems like Kim, Kim is not really going to fill Jimmy in about Mike and the people following them and Lalo being alive. I mean, let's get to that. Um, actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and take, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Um, we've said goodbye to Nacho. Do you have any other thoughts on the Nacho situation before we move on <sighs> from last time? My, my only other thought is, well, I don't want to make any assumptions or guesses about what's going to happen on the show because I'm wrong 100% of the time. Yeah. But if I was to do that, um, I would be hoping that his father really is going to be okay. And I think that is what the 
symbolic shot of that flower means is, you know, the new life, something good happening, something good coming of it. Um, Because we know that Nacho has very little loose ends that we're aware of, the main one just being his father. I don't really think those girls living in his apartment are something that are going to come back or be important. I think that scene resolved itself. I think if you were going to make little short films that tell you what happened to characters in this world, it would be fun to spend 10 more minutes with those characters on a train or something like that. But I feel like that scene was meant to show they're just savvy enough to realize, like, get out, take the money. This guy's not kidding. You know, this guy's that kind of nice. Mike's, but Mike's not really that nice, you know? Yeah. He's not going to turn. If if he warns you and you stick around, he's not going to save you, probably. So, yeah, Yeah. they're they're gone, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. So I, I really think that the last loose end and the whole reason that he died at all and the way that he died the way he did was to save his father. And I think that just the symbolism of that flower means that his father will be okay. And we hopefully will never see him again. I'm really hoping we just never see him again and can assume that he's okay and happy forever. And I probably rock. <laughs> I, I agree with everything you just said about like this actor. If I see that he's scheduled to be on any more episodes, the actor who plays Manuel, I think that's his name, uh, Nacho's dad. Um, I will be sad because I'll be like, no, 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 don't bring him back yeah. to, just to be like don't collateral, you dare. Uh, collateral damage. But I could see a cool scene where Mike goes by the upholstery shop and tells him like mm-hmm. you really should lay low or you really should get out of town or whatever might be happening with Lalo being around and whatever he might do that yeah. like I could see there being I don't so much see them creating tension around Manuel because um to me that almost feels like putting a baby in danger he just seems like such a such a, a good honest man um but on another hand he he did sort of like I don't know I'm thinking about could he have left the door a little bit more open like is his blind faith in the system that the right thing for Nacho to do is Manuel. to turn himself into the police. Is he maybe wrong? Do you know what I mean? Like, we know that that's not really right. Like, if Nacho did that, it wouldn't necessarily be fair. I don't know. I wonder sometimes if we're meant to see that the dad is a little bit myopic in his view of, like, mm-hmm. if you're doing something bad, things will go better for you if you just turn yourself in. It's like, that's not the it, kind of world really that Nacho's naive. in. It's really naive. Yeah. It, it's naive because, yeah, it's not the world Nacho's in. It could be... Um, you know, if he was doing some petty thievery or something and just off on his own scrapping and hurting people. But we know that he's in with a cartel and we know that he's in with people that will hunt him and his family down and kill them. And his dad doesn't know the extent of it. So he's, uh, you know, naive when he's suggesting just go to the cops and everything will be fine. Um, but I, I do want to um, hit a couple other little things before we get to the this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll talk about Nacho Forever. It's fine. I know we I can too. We'll just we'll do it off mic. Um, but um, one more thing. There's a moment that I didn't really comment on last time. Well, there's actually two moments. But the first one is that Mike, when he's watching Nacho through the uh, scope, he says, mm-hmm. "Do it" at one point. And I've puzzled over exactly what it was Mike was saying "do" because maybe Mike's yeah. thinking if you take out Balsa. I can take out five of those guys in four seconds. And then we've got, yeah. you know, or is he just saying like, go, no kid, stick with the plan. Don't make this bad on yourself. I mean, I, I just wonder what he meant because it's, I do think in the, there's a lot of different ways that situation could have gone from that moment. I don't think Mike is thinking maybe Nacho could live and I'll take all these guys out. But it is true that he is at a distance with a shotgun <laughs> and, yeah. or a rifle, I should say. Yeah. And like, um, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting thing that like Mike is in a very powerful position. If you think about your Gus or your Hector or your anyone sitting in that situation so far. Yeah. Away. None of them. I mean, Gus knows that Mike's there, but a lot of them don't really know how vulnerable they literally are. There's obviously consequences. If anyone gets shot, everyone's shooting everyone. Um depending on how fa- fast Mike is. Right. But I-, I was thinking about that too. What exactly did do it mean? Especially the first time I watched it, because I did watch it again because I love pain and I wanted to cry that day. Um, <laughs> I was also wondering if it was, you know, up until the moment, and j- just like you and Bob were saying, up until the moment that he shot himself, I had no idea what he was going to do and thought that maybe there was some, you know sneaky plan where he was going to get out of it. Maybe Mike was in on it. Um, Kind of hoping for something like that, maybe, but no. Um, So yeah, at first it just seems like he's saying, do it, shoot Bolsa, but it doesn't really seem like that smart of a move. 
Right. Although, really, then it would just be down to taking out the twins because it's not like Hector can do anything. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Mike thought was going to happen or if he just really wanted Nacho to get out of there before he got really messed up by those guys. Yeah, or or kept alive would be again. That's the that's what you don't yeah. want to be if you're Nacho in that situation. Um, yeah. But speaking of that, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. Is is there an image more pathetic than Hector just emptying a gun into Nacho's corpse on the ground? Like that guy that defines him in just wholeheartedly. It's like his rage, his his wounded ego. Um, I don't know. I just I think that like he's another like Shakespearean character on this show that I don't think I I give that much thought to because he's so clearly what he is in almost every scene. But the yeah. evolution of him and the 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 kind of curdling of him uh, from someone who you might feel bad for to a person who you just can't. It's impossible to have any pity in yeah. your heart for this man. I yeah. Two thoughts. One is that it made me so sick to my stomach, and like I don't. I, it's not like it was even gory, but just the fact that that was happening, especially to a character that I loved and just was so emotional watching that whole episode and that whole scene. It was like, I feel like that was even more than Red Wedding level of me being shocked at something happening on TV and w me being way more emotionally invested in it. Um, so then, yeah, him just continually shooting Nacho's dead body made me feel ill, yes. like sick to my stomach. It was so upsetting. And it really is very telling of his character. So good job to them for doing it. But I wanted to barf. Um, and then second of all, just that level of rage really is the only thing that would make me worried about Nacho's father. Mm -hmm. um, because I love that he gave him that speech. Um, but I feel like that could really be the only thing that would really bolster Hector into being like, no, that wasn't enough. I'm spiteful and horrible. <laughs> well, that's why I feel like maybe Mike would be the one in that, that would be a Mike plot because he promised Nacho, he's like the tip of the spear of like the, the uh, Gus's promise that mm -hmm. we will protect your dad. Like that, that Mike is the person who would be making that, make, keeping that promise. So yeah. I feel like that could be the way we get another scene. If so, with, with Nacho's dad. And yeah, I, I think it would be, I don't know who knows how dark they want to go with this show, but I think it would be almost too much to, to kill Nacho's dad after it. the way Nacho died. <laughs> but that would yeah. be yet another huge death. That's like disconnected from the, the story we're presumably beginning to follow, which is what all the lawyers are doing. And yeah, and, you know, cause that will touch on the, drug world stuff pretty soon i would imagine or at least by the end of this chunk of episodes we're watching right now oh we'll my probably... gosh yeah well and i it really did start escalating so quickly and uh the second somebody said you're salamanca's guy and he yeah. said yes me and jonathan both gasped because yeah. we were like that was probably a mistake well i mean like <laughs> he's saying that Get, or that was probably a big giant turning point. Well, to get business, I mean, I don't know, even Kim later, she kind of spells it out for him whether he's realizing it or not. It's like, yes, it's totally who you're representing or who they know you represented. Mm. Um, but, um, well, here we are. We said we'd get to this Jim, uh, Jimmy and Kim stuff, and here we are. The, the, the moment with Mike where he tells Kim, basically, just ignore my guys. Uh, they're here to help. Um, Her pretty, walking up to that car... Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, but the shot. The, did She's you notice just the way, walking right over there. The camera just goes through the car, you know? Like, yeah. Well, she and Jimmy both have that, the balls to, like, turn back around and ask the person the thing that, you know, yeah. you, you might not ask just them. Just that she she stopped and wrote down their license plate, and I just loved it. And then said, are you following me? I'm like, you know, yeah. no no fucking around. But the, but the camera, there was camera tricks there. Like, the I, I, I heard that... Um, they, that there was no windshield or rearview mirror that was actually in the car because the camera seems to come from across uh, the street, move past the guys through the car, and then it frames yeah. her in the back windshield writing down the thing, and then she walks around to the side. There were a couple of amazing shots like that. Uh, there was another one when Jimmy was pulling off the scam with Howard's car at the beginning, um, and, and the camera's mounted on the car door, and he gets out it's a side shot of him a side shot of him mm -hmm. he gets out the camera swings out and frames the back of the car with the cone he walks back yeah. moves the cone over comes back 
it swings the car door and it's framing him back up in the car. It's like, and it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And you would say that stuff is showy, but it always feels so motivated and it feels like it does something that puts you in the moment. It almost never feels like you stop the show to enjoy a shot like that. It's more like it goes by and if you watch it again, you go, holy shit. I, I didn't even think about the fact that that was a tricky shot that they did. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is the plot because a lot of the times when they're doing that, we're sitting there going, what the hell is happening? Right. What are they doing? What is Jimmy doing? Yeah, why, why is and this the plan? So, yeah, these shots are happening around us being puzzled. Um, but we were talking about Kim and the guys following. You know, it's momentous to see these characters together, but what we really get from that is that Mike feels like he can talk to Kim about stuff more than he feels like he can talk to Jimmy. Maybe he's afraid of what Jimmy would do. Jimmy would go off half-cocked. It's not like Jimmy's yeah. proven to be a coward. He just might not be as as like studied as Kim would be about. Exactly. Uh, yeah. When he said, I feel like you're made of sterner stuff. I feel like he's implying Jimmy would probably do something rash and squirrely and make it worse. Or he just maybe even has misjudged the Jimmy that we've seen, who we know mm -hmm. does have this weird stamina, you know, but he was out in the mm -hmm. desert with him. And again, I don't know how well, Kim would have handled that situation. She probably would have would have had to drink her own pee too. But maybe she would she would have uh, understood the the situation sooner and whined less or something. We we mm -hmm. just don't know. But for whatever reason, Mike doesn't tell uh, Jimmy. He tells Kim. And this was something you said a minute ago that I think we should talk about. It does look like next week she still hasn't told. I mean, the, if, if people are listening and they don't want to hear about next week on. Yeah, I usually like don't watch that. Yeah, but I mean, we... they do show them sitting on the couch in their apartment, and he's saying something like, "I can't believe he's dead," or or something like that. Um, or he's I'm so like, glad. I'm sure, sure glad Lalo's yeah, dead. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I find I I'm having a hard time thinking of any reason why she wouldn't tell him that Lalo's alive. Like, I, I can't don't... think of why. <sighs> Squirrely or not, are you that it, afraid? Exactly. Right. I think that it would. I can't imagine, well, this seems like a stupid thing to say, but I can't imagine a way that Jimmy would make that situation worse. I'm sure he could, because <laughs> they could both make a lot of things worse. Right. But you would think that if someone with that much, you know, dangerous power over you potentially is alive that you thought was dead, you know, it would be worth knowing about. And you would think also that she would trust him to know about it. It it seems weird to me now that both her and Mike would think it wasn't a good idea to tell Jimmy. We don't know how long that lasts next week. They do those next right. week on sometimes, and then you watch the scene, and the next moment is her saying, actually, no, you know. Yeah. Because Mike told her, I, I mean, I, I actually thought they diffused that quickly in the story in general. I thought we were going to have a few episodes of, of both of them doing things based on the the, the, the security of thinking Lalo was dead only yeah. to find out like I could easily see Jimmy out there like spreading lies about stuff he's done for Lalo or saying on the street you know I mean whatever he thinks is going to help his cachet as this kind of mm -hmm. underworld lawyer if he doesn't know Lalo's alive he might he might lie about his association with the Salamancas or so I don't know I, I don't I'm trying to think of what what they're going to get out of that except for just more disaster if Jimmy is like kept in the dark about that crucial piece of yeah. info so and I actually thought the same about Gus. Like, I I didn't think it would be so soon that Gus would find out. Right. Um, and I famously, at least within this household, hate plots where there's a misunderstanding or there's information that people don't have. So I always get so relieved when stuff like that just happens immediately. I'm like, oh, yeah, thank God. All right. They know. They all know. It's fine. Horrible things will happen, but at least everyone knows what's happening. Now. Well, I mean, I guess because you know the yeah, it's painful to watch a character make a bad decision based on bad information. It really is. That information we have, it's yeah. just, it's so hard to watch. I mean, I think a certain amount of that is good dread, but you're right that maybe this show can mark itself as distinct by having everybody be informed and still somehow fuck up. Um, yeah. But I am curious about that whole storyline, like where it's going now that we know they're not going to try to get that period I was talking about of like, well, we're still ahead of Jimmy. We're not ahead of Kim anymore. Yeah. Um, but anything else that, I don't know, what did you think of that scene? These two characters that, as we were saying before, you would have thought would have shared the screen before now, but you know, it seemed like they both were kind of, it was like a scene from a Western or something. And even the way he got up and walked out into the blazing sun, it looked yeah. very much like a Western. This show does that often, but this was very much that like kind of two gunslingers meeting and, and there's mutual respect shown in some strange way. 
Definitely. Um, I would love to see another scene between them where Kim is more in her power because yeah. she was so thrown, obviously, by that news, the news of who was following her and why. And um, she's so shaky, but still holds herself together so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be amazing to see her in her full power and Mike in his full power just because they're such amazing characters and would stand up to each other really well. But um yeah, seeing them in that scene was still pretty incredible. I like the the end of it too, where she realized where she recognized him from, and she was like, "Oh, you were the parking attendant at the courthouse." And it's like yeah. we sort of have forgotten that in a way that I, she would have yeah. seen him all the time. But I like the way she said, "You were the attendant," and he said, "Yeah, I was." And turns around yeah. and walks out. But I love how that's like this great like if you want to read into that exchange, that's a great moment of reckoning. Like Mike is almost in that moment having to like admit and and remember. It's like, oh yeah, at that point, I really was just a guy working this shit job. Like uh, nothing against parking lot attending. I'm sure if anybody's <laughs> listening, doing. in fact, it seems like you might listen to a lot of podcasts if you're doing that. So it might be my, my the, pe- the, the people I'm looking for. <laughs> you but can like, just cut that out. Just the idea that he would sort of maybe be reminded of like, like, you know, Jimmy and Kim aren't the only characters who have slipped since we met them on this show. Mike, too, yeah. has gone from a guy who was trying to walk the straight and narrow to essentially the enforcer for a, uh, you know, a, a kingpin of sorts. So I think yeah. that I think that that was an interesting again, it felt like out of a Western. There's a little bit of a moment of like he's been past that point of no return. And I think he knows it at this point as a man and he's trying to do the best job he can for Gus Fring not not to you yeah. know what I mean not as a not as a detective trying to help people um but I don't know but then he's also got his granddaughter right. to protect and help raise and fund you know her and her mother the same way with Nacho where he just fell into a life that he obviously didn't want to be in and just got completely stuck in that web and couldn't get out again right um I did want to touch on um, the Gus stuff since we're kind of talking about Mike and Gus at this point. I did think that the the sort of oh, reveal, yeah. the sort of reveal what of his compound. Earth? I liked how that was like a James Bond uh, villain lair reveal. The going down, yeah. even the music had this kind of retro feel to it. But I thought that was like it was cool to sort of make you go, "Oh yeah, I guess I haven't really thought about." the mechanics of how does he have such a, how does he have it locked down so well? Yeah. And the fact that he, it, it starts off that, that cold open, the very extremely well shot, really funny, really bizarre. Yeah. It was like it was from another world. They do such a great job with establishing the humor and the details, all the unison, like uh, traffic signals and stuff. Yeah. They were giving and their and little like minty outfits. Yeah. Um, a funny Fact, uh, I guess it's a fun fact and a funny fact. uh, Those two characters are played by, I have down here, they're Mr. and Mrs. Ryman, and they are played by Kirk and Joni Beauville, who are married actors. Oh, that's adorable. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) And for a split second when they come into the house, you almost wonder if there's some like timeline overlapping or something because there's these gunmen and these guards and who are they? And then you just see somebody's watching Gus's house. Now, I did not immediately recognize that as Gus's house because I didn't remember that's what his house looked like from Breaking Bad. I'm a bad fan for that. I did think, haven't we seen that before? But later when I saw it again, I was like, oh, I think we were supposed to recognize it because... Mm. The, you know, there were scenes of that house on Breaking Bad, and it was filmed you okay. know, from the front and everything. So we should have recognized been it. So, oh well, I'm gonna let myself off the hook. It's oh, I don't mean so I say shooting quotes. You know. <laughs> well, yeah. When when we saw that at the beginning, I was like, I have no idea if I'm supposed to remember this house or if this is new information. Right. Uh, but I feel like that with a lot of stuff sometimes with this show. Just it's been so long since I've seen Breaking Bad, and I I don't think I've ever rewatched any of Better Call Saul. I, mm-hmm. And I am really wishing that I had now that we're on the last season, and there's just so much packed into every single episode. And I feel like I am missing stuff like that. Although it it does clue you in eventually, like the last scene. Right. I think that's kind of what I was getting at is that you get to have the fun of that plotline teasing in this really cool visual way because it's an interesting enough idea just to say oh this this couple of bikers you know that are exercising and having the complaints about the house painted red and you're wondering like 
did Jimmy buy that house and paint it red? Like, you're wondering, like, what's the story here? And then you realize it's just Gus's neighborhood. But yeah, you don't realize that until later unless you recognize the house. I was just fine with the intrigue of what's happening with this screen of this wall of televisions and the person or, you know, yeah. watching someone's house. But then when it turned out to be Gus's and then you see the reveal of the tunnel behind the bookshelf, it, well, yeah. it's, it's almost too much, but it's almost like it, it was like a perfect dipping into kind of a genre sort of fun that you kind of want them to have on this show. It shouldn't always be genre bleakness. They should also have a little bit of genre fun here. So genre fun. Yeah. I like that term. <laughs> yeah. As soon as he walked in, I was like, oh, it's his house. And I thought, I bet he knows they're watching him. And then he goes downstairs and I was like, oh, okay. I guess he's the one watching himself. Right. Or just <laughs> in the know- neighborhood. <clears throat> knowing that it's all locked down, you know, knowing that if someone yeah. comes through that he's not going to miss it. He's so intense and meticulous and they just keep reminding us, which is interesting. I don't hate it, but they just keep reminding us how much he has got his shit together. And how much distaste he has for the idea of wearing a gun. Like we saw that scene where he wanted to take the gun off and then he kind of thinks better of it and puts it back on. And then he got up and I was like, does he does he just not like the way it messes with the line of the pants? I could almost see that being his complaint. Because after that, he, would, like, <laughs> he like hits the cuff. I don't know. Everything he does, like you said, it's so fastidious and meticulous. Yeah. But it never seems like futzy. It always seems very direct. That's why him breaking that glass a few weeks it's so ago functional. Was, was such a which such a surprise when he broke that glass because it isn't like him to do anything that like isn't in control um yeah well i liked the conversation between him and mike as well i liked the idea that mike had a guy working at los pollos hermanos who was who was what did he say (laughs) not up to pollos standards (laughs) yes he'd worked at mcdonald's a little bit but wasn't quite good enough well i mean but that's the kind of workplace comedy between those two that you might have expected to get a lot more of but they've been very Mm -hmm. sparing with it on this show but that feels like the same dynamic they would have on breaking bad or at least in that era of their characters just gus saying okay you're doing okay but i can't stand this and mike being like okay we'll get a different guy but there's something about that that feels very like like lived in between these two. Like like I said, Mike is genuinely trying to do a, just a good job at what this guy wants him to do. And it just happens to be all this, you know, skullduggery. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the job of recruiting a criminal that's also a good line cook. Right. That can pose as a line cook and I guess keep <laughs> yeah. a gun ready. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess that's all we really got from that. I mean, we see that Mike is trying to work the, the angle and make sure everybody knows, like, I, I don't know if there's anybody else that's being followed that Mike had to go talk to that way, but definitely he feels like he can level with Kim. We'll see what's coming with with uh, that aspect of the Lalo, you know, I, I we'll have more to talk about with Lalo soon, I, I expect, but it feels I like at this so, point, he's yeah. just this guy out there lurking around, but I think he's the true scary element of the show at this point. Well, it it is interesting to imagine what the rest of the season is going to be like, because there's a lot of it left and Nacho's chapter is closed. Mm-hmm. So we've got Howard, we've got Lalo, um, and I'm sure a bunch of crazy shit that <laughs> I haven't conceived of yet. Well, you mentioned Howard. Let's do talk a little bit about uh, the Howard part of this whole story. I mean, I think you and I were talking before about feeling like we don't hate Howard as much as Jimmy and Kim hate Howard, uh, just as a rule. So it is like watching them, you know, what you said, that kind of tone shift from what happened last time with Nacho to coming into hijinks. I think it's it's a couple things there that, that I noticed. One is that it's that, that late point in a show's run where you realize, oh, we're getting a little hijinks and it's kind of reminding us of what we might have gotten in earlier years of the show. But now that the tension has ratcheted up so much, it feels different. And I think that's very mm-hmm. deliberate, but it's also like the show's getting maybe one of its last chances to put Bob Odenkirk in a funny outfit and spray tan or whatever character work he's doing, you know, which was yeah. hilarious. I mean, everything about that reveal, the way that Howard's in therapy. And actually, again, a little side of Howard that uh, makes me think even more. I don't hate Howard at all. Seeing him loosen the tie and like have this 
he, he took it down a notch, you know? There's something, but we, he says, oh, I did have a dream. And then it cuts to the shot of Bob Odenkirk in disguise from behind. And for a split second, you're thinking, is this show about ha- to do a dream sequence? They've never done this. Yeah. And then boom, it's Bob and Odenkirk And he's got the key thing. Him. And yeah. I'm like, how did he know about the key thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's also got the key in one hand and the traffic cone in the other. And he's coming down the street. Like, you know, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's just a great moment for Bob Odenkirk. And they, they mirror the shot of um, like Howard. We see him like, and this just shows you Howard as a character that when he turns around to click the the fob to lock his car, the little mm-hmm. chirp, he actually has this little tight smile, like ah, like he just is, he loves order and neatness so much that hearing his car lock gives him this little, hmm, and he walks away. And then later, <laughs> it's the same shot basically of Jimmy in disguise holding up the you know the the, the jury rigged thing that that he yeah. has, and it's just a funny. I don't know. I didn't notice it until I watched it a second time that they they do have pretty much the same shot, and Jimmy's just a grotesque. As Howard, <laughs> yeah. um, how, how did did you enjoy that scene as much as I did? All, all that stuff. Absolutely, it yeah, it's a, like a lot on the show. It just dawns on me in real time what is happening. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, why does he look like that? Why is his hair like that? <laughs> I, and yeah, that was amazing. It was really fun. I loved his disgust with the the jazz that that Howard was playing yeah. in the car. Everything about it. I mean, again, I don't even mind that kind of music, but it's so perfect for Howard and his, and his you know, pristine Jaguar to be listening to that type of music and just having a yeah. nice day. Um, well, and he does really seem like someone, like you said, he gets pleasure out of just a little trip of his car. He is someone that seems so, like he's all about mindfulness and trying to center himself and work with therapy and things like that. It's really hard to watch them take him down right. when at, he's just going through these little moments of trying to find pleasure in his life and trying to better himself. And they're just going to fuck it up. Right. I mean, I guess you could say that like he's self-satisfied, but that's not that but big then a crime, a lot, you know? Well, and, and I'm sure a lot of this is also me forgetting from earlier seasons, but they frame him a lot as like this smug piece of shit. And then it's kind of revealed that he's not actually so horrible. He's more soulful than he's that. He's very yeah. sympathetic. You know, he's very sympathetic to Chuck and to Jimmy. And he tries with them and doesn't make any headway with, you know, getting sympathy from Jimmy. But... From us a little bit, for sure. Well, I mean, I think because we've seen those moments and they always have put us a little bit in, like there have been kind of come to Jesus moments for him where somebody tells him off and we're meant to see that it lands with him. But the fact that it lands with him and that he seems to try to make good on it, it, again, it just, they, they have not paved the way. I don't think they want us to dislike Howard. I think they kind of are surprised. It's one of those times where I almost think the writers were surprised that they created a character that was had more depth than what they maybe immediately thought of, which is he's going to be kind of this foil to Jimmy because he's this uptight guy. But very quickly, Chuck became the antagonist of that story. And Howard was kind of, it, it became more interesting to say, well, no, he was never that bad, you know? So yeah. now that he's the guy who was never that bad, maybe that's why he's the best tragic figure to, to ruin. Um, because surely what they're trying to do is not going to work. Let's talk a little bit about this, this plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know to what extent it's going to work, but I think that it's working now, and you can see how there's these little fault lines in it. Like, one is that Howard, eventually, when he finds out, you know, it's not going to be hard for him to think of who might be behind this kind of this kind of stuff. Yeah. If anyone goes after that prostitute again, she's got Kim's card. Right. And then Kim, on the other ha- side, is is, like, going to see very quickly, maybe, that she could accomplish what she wants to do without the chicanery. Uh, yeah. And like, why would she could have just asked for that job? Right. That conversation with Clifford Maine really got in her head because he was like, you've got something here, you know, and his story, he was talking about his son having a drug problem and how he's very sympathetic to people who get caught up in the the, the wheels of the legal system. And it's like, we didn't expect that from Clifford yeah. Maine either. Did she know that? I don't know. I really don't. That's fucked up. Well, the thing about that that's interesting is it's the whole con thing of setting someone up to think it was their idea. It's not just that they're setting out to defame Howard. It's that they're creating situations where Clifford Maine is going to be the one to say Howard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When when he's like, was that Howard? And she turns around and says, I don't know what happened so fast. She's not like, yeah, it was Howard. I saw his plates. 
But I guess the and also that if it works too well, Clifford Maine goes down too because he becomes the guy who Howard's at war with when you know Howard's being you know defamed by Clifford. If that's where it goes, I just am yeah. saying maybe at some point Kim will see the choice that we were just talking about, going, "Oh, wait a minute, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin Clifford Maine." Because he's a guy who seems like he could help me with the thing I really want to do. And that ties in mm-hmm. with that last scene where she's looking at this office that Jimmy has chosen. And she kind of looks at it and says, it's a, it's shitty. It's perfect for what you want to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like that, that is, there's a distance there between them in terms of their goals, even though they aren't, they aren't talking about that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, the way I feel about Kim is, and then this, this episode kind of muddies it a little bit when she basically asks like am i wicked mm-hmm. um she just her her whole goal with this howard thing is just on paper magnanimous it, it's like she's just got um kind of a flimsy excuse of why she's doing what she's doing is for the greater good mm-hmm. um but i don't think I mean, I just really don't think that it is all for the greater good with Kim, just the same way it's not, you know, well, Jimmy's means to an end are different from hers. Hers is different, but I still feel like it's going about it in the same manner. I I think that she loves the power that she has in pulling off these schemes. I think she gets a lot out of it. Um and I think she's just got the plausible deniability of saying, well, I'm doing it for a good reason. Like, my reason is for, because I want to help people. Uh, taking down Howard will be good. And doing, you know, getting drug dealers off the streets is bad. Um, I just don't think there's that big of a divide between them at all. And maybe she's starting to see that and asking or, you know, if it was Jimmy that posted, I don't remember. Is she wicked? Is this bad? Really, finally, she stops to ask that question. Well, and then Jimmy has that great quote. The I think it's a Bible quote, maybe. But he says that the the wicked flee when none pursueth. Um, yeah. Which is basically saying, like, if it's, it's, it's to me, it's akin to that whole thing about uh, a coward, uh, you know, a hero, uh, someone with bravery dies just once, but a, a, per, a, a coward dies a thousand deaths, you know, that like, if you're a coward, then you're always running and you're always hiding and you're always trying to save yourself. And that's all you care mm-hmm. about. And the wicked flee when none pursueth. I've always kind of taken that similar way to say that, like, if you're doing bad things, you've got, you've got, you're always looking over your shoulder, you know? Yeah. And, and if you consider yourself as a person who's got some comeuppance coming, then you're always going to be looking over your shoulder, whether you've done bad things or not. And so when he throws that quote out and she says, well, are we wicked? It's actually kind of a vulnerable moment that Kim is saying that, like, she's, I mean, again, all the criticism you can give to their relationship, they do have these weird moments where they're talking to each other. And it seems like that's a pretty real Jimmy that then responded to her, even though he's being a little, there's bravado and he's like, hey, take it from me. But like he is saying like, right now, nobody knows what we're trying to do except for us. Like you don't need, he's thinking of their scheme. No one needs to be afraid in the world of our scheme, but he's also um, presumably, you know, thinking we're free and clear of this whole Lalo thing and we're just working this Howard scheme. But she seems to be actively trying to like balance the scales with humanitarian work. (laughs) Uh, uh, And he's not really doing that. He's getting in deeper. You mentioned like the people waiting for him at the salon, um, Spooge, the, the the guy with the beard. He's a character from Breaking Bad. I don't don't know if you remember the really scary meth head who gets killed spoilers for breaking bad uh when when his uh, girlfriend pushes an atm that they've stolen over onto him and crushes his head oh my god no but, but I he's did like a vile that. scary violent guy on breaking bad like a guy who you kind of pity because he's so he's he's so addicted but the stuff he does yeah. he's one of the more villainous like depictions of a drug addict they had on that show um and uh i think at the time in this show when they were trying to say let's show the end users of this drug let's show just how it ruins yeah. people you know but anyway it, so that guy definitely, whatever uh, Saul does for him, um, it doesn't last that long. Spooch doesn't have yeah. too long on this earth. But anyway, that's the kind of guy. And that's the guy that says you're Salamanca's guy. I mean, and you're right that Jimmy yeah. says, yeah. So, I mean, he's over here saying that while Kim's trying to see another couple, you know, uh, uh, people that are going to get chewed up by the system if she doesn't help them. So sh- she's not kidding herself that she's doing something good. But I think you're right that she's kidding herself that there's that much of a division between her and Jimmy when it comes to 
what they're willing to do, you know? Mostly for me with Kim, it's just the Howard stuff. Because everything she's doing in the rest of her career, you can tell how fulfilling it is for her. Right. When she is describing a day that sounds really horrible and then says it's the best day of her life. That is the stuff that she's meant to do as a person on in you know in the world and it's obviously stuff that's fulfilling to her but then she just can't stop picking at howard and i just think the reason she can't stop picking at howard is not because of the greater good that it would do to take him down i think it's because of just the compulsivity in her the way that she it like gets a thrill from pulling off these schemes and stuff when they in uh you know the I can't think of the word because I'm really tired now. <laughs> but just, you know, the kind of the stuff that they would pull over on people earlier. Giselle. Wasn't in that the her show. name? Giselle? Yeah. Yeah. I forget his name. What's that called? Schemes, tricks, uh, you stuff. Know, hijinks, <laughs> shenanigans. No. Uh, um, there's a word for it, folks. Oh, and we, we know there's a word for it. We just don't know the word. It's been a long day. It's been a long day for both of us. But I think we've, yeah. we've been, you when, know what? We've had a lot on our minds lately. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot. But yeah, just the way that she and Jimmy were really enjoying fucking with people for fun. Yeah. I feel like that has spilled over really hard into her motivations for what she's doing to Howard. And there's been this little back and forth between like who's leading the charge on that, you know? And I think that's yeah. an interesting thing. But if we're now seeing her realize maybe more than she's ever had to, she's done this a few times before on the show. And this is actually something that I wanted to get to um, with relation to that last scene. Um, they've, you know, at different times she's, she's had the choice of being in league with Jimmy or not. And she's yeah. chosen to be in league with him at times and sometimes not. So there's no reason that she wouldn't say, all right, I can't keep up this Howard scheme now because it's a, it's going to go too crazy and it's blowing up this thing with Clifford or the Clifford thing's going to blow up while she's off stoking the Howard thing. And then that's going to be how she's kind of caught with her hand in the cookie jar the same way that Jimmy would be. And he's going to say, well, mm -hmm. ah, fuck him, let's rebound. But she's yeah. not necessarily there yet. She doesn't have to be in that zone. Um, but that last scene, what I wanted to say about it was, I feel like it reminded me of maybe three or four other scenes this show has had where it's Jimmy and Kim looking at a place. In the first season, there was a time where he wanted her to become his partner. Um, and he showed her a nice office and she was like, Jimmy, I can't, I'm trying to go I'm trying to do this the right way. I'm trying to climb my way up. Uh, and you're, you're you, you know, and yeah. Jimmy had kind of a breakdown at that moment. And then there, I know there was a scene when they were deciding to go into cahoots at this, at the place that used to be a dentist office, I guess. And then there was a scene where they went and looked at a house together. I'm just saying we've had several yeah. scenes of those two saying, check out this place, look at it and having like a commentary on where their relationship is based on how they're reacting to this. And I feel like Kim's reaction to where Jimmy's going was so like she's a she's worried and she's she doesn't see this going anywhere good. And you see her kind of putting on a, a fake sort of acceptance or happiness for him that just feels like, ah, oh, that's a wedge. Like the honesty between them at this weird level has always been one of the things that seems to make them, like, give them this core. But if she's yeah. basically saying, oh, yeah, this is good for, yeah, no, no, it's good. That's a sign that she's kind of detaching, you know, in a way that maybe he doesn't realize. But you can even see on his face, he knows that she's not, like, thrilled for him. But he's not thrilled for him, I don't think. I think he sees this yeah. as still an extension of this character that he's playing. Anyway, what did you make of that? And did you did you think of that at all, that this is not the first time we've seen them, like, check out a property together? Um, I had not thought of that. That's a very good point. Um, and I do think that their, their subtle reactions to each other are some of my favorite things about the show. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we've seen it on both sides so many times where one of them is really excited about something, the other one's hesitant, and yeah. then reads the look on their partner's face and then changes their tune to at least try to find a couple good things to say. Yeah. Um, Brilliantly put. But that is very much like you do that in a real relationship all the time. Hopefully not in the way they have to on this show, <laughs> but you constantly are reading the other person and going like, I'm not going to rain on their parade just because I don't yeah. agree 100% with what they are up to right now. You know? Yeah. Like your knee jerk reaction is, especially with them, is this brutal honesty of like, well, it's small and dirty, but... Mm -hmm. Well, but, I guess it's close to the courthouse and the taco place. Yeah. So 
Haha, ha, little joke. Let's go eat tacos now and try to forget about it. But also she's realizing, uh, they, yeah, for what you want to do, this could work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but she, yeah, she does try to frame it in a way that isn't totally shitting on him and making him feel terrible about it. It's just really subtle, but I think they know each other both inside and out so much that I, I don't think there's any amount of subtlety they can really get past each other. Right. But I just love those moments where you can see them reading the reaction of the other person's face and then changing their tune about whatever they're saying. Like, and I know they've done it a bunch of times, but just most recently when I, I can't remember if it was the first episode of the season or the second, um, where they were having lunch and Kim was like, I've got another plan about Howard. And Jimmy was like, really, are we still doing that? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, you don't think so? And he was like, yeah, all right. You know, he yeah. clearly doesn't want to, and then he just hops right on board. Then, then he puts on spray tan and reluctantly, yeah. but then he'll, yeah, he'll he'll do it because he, she doesn't even she doesn't have to beg. Neither of them ever do. Um, they just kind of give each other what they want, which is kind of terrible. Right, it's kind of terrible, but I maintain <laughs> it's still sort of a depiction of a of togetherness and cohabitation that I relate to on this weird level. And the more people that talk about their relationship being toxic or hollow, or I'm like, oh shit, maybe I, I need to, ex hollow. maybe I need to examine <laughs> my idea about relationships. <laughs> Cause I do think that like coexisting as like allies, uh, like you're leaders of two countries that are right up against each other and you have to be peaceful. I do think that's a little bit of what, a long relationship is after a while. It's, it's like you are you are two people, and yet you have to have these ways in which you support each other and agree on things. And you don't have to totally overlap, but you don't you don't it, being in opposition. I don't know. Like that's what the phrase I used earlier: fault lines. It's like there are things where you mm -hmm. can see. Oh, the, if there's going to be a way this relationship falls apart, it's going to be over this. And I think we've all known that in our head. Like not necessarily of a, a long lasting relationship, but ones that fail. You kind of knew something was up before it happened. Um, and I think both of these characters, to your point, we've seen them kind of paper over those cracks as they've gone along. Of like, like Jimmy almost can't believe he's with someone like Kim. I think, and Jimmy and Kim, different way, can't believe she's with someone yeah. like Jimmy. You know. <laughs> Something's clicking, though, and I think that's the part that this show knows that obviously they're creating tension around when is that going to ultimately, like, what's the ultimate fate of these two and their relationship seems to be like the the real emotional hook of the show. So, yeah, and it's something that we've kind of touched on before, um, but I, I do believe that they love each other. I fully believe that they love each other. I don't think their relationship is hollow. I think it's a lot more intimate than most people's relationships. Mm -hmm. When I say that them feeding into each other is terrible, it's because they're <laughs> true menaces to society. Right, right. <laughs> they're menaces and they're both really, really good at it. And they make each other better at it, which is bad for society at large. Uh, but I think that they truly love each other very much. Well, that's almost a great segue to what I consider to kind of be our last chunk of, you know, like topic here, which is a mm. chunk of topic. Is that a phrase? Um, <laughs> is that uh, Jimmy is I, like last time when I was talking to Bob Rose, I, I, I didn't realize before that what I think is different about Jimmy and Saul is that Saul is isolated and Jimmy is not. Mm -hmm. And so I had that idea in my head this week of like, yes, it's isolation. That's what it is. That's what it is about that opening sequence this season of the house being dismantled and, you know, taken into evidence that was so sad is that it feels like a, a life of like, this guy seems like he doesn't have anybody that really cares. It's all about money. It's all about deals, but it's not, you know, you can't picture, the reason why we can't picture Kim in his life at that point is because Saul seems to have an empty life, you know? Um, and I think this week we saw almost like they clicked a notch towards isolation. Like the isolation of Jimmy McGill was hard for me to watch. Like, even though I know he's earned it, the people in, at the courthouse, of course, are not going to feel the same way about drug lawyer Jimmy McGill or Saul Goodman as they did about down on his luck Scrabbler, even uh, that uh, DDA Oakley, that character who's been in just about every season, I think, and has had always yeah. a great moment or two with Jimmy and they spar back and forth and it's this kind of, you know, sibling rivalry almost. And and this time, no, he just doesn't even want to joke with Jimmy anymore. And he says, uh, I liked you better when you were just a regular bottom feeder. 
Um, yeah. And he says, but what you're doing now is wrong. And and like the, the person pushing the mail cart doesn't want to talk to him. The the lady, the, the nice clerk that he had the cute relationship yeah. with where he would bring her plushies and, and she would, <laughs> you know, help him out. Like that's over. And and then no one wants to sit with him at lunch. You know, I, I don't know. I just feel like that last scene is like, we that's him going, okay, now I'm, you know, subtly, Jimmy breaks your heart every time he sort of gives up on himself a little bit. Yeah. And I think he did that this week. Definitely. And part of me really wants to think that, you know, there's really no reason why Kim couldn't still be in his life in the Breaking Bad era, because we see so little of his actual personal life then, and she could be off in the wings doing whatever on earth she's doing. They have not really cohabitated much. Um, I guess they live together. Yeah, they live together. But, I mean... I don't know. I guess when you, when you do think about the house that they showed, it doesn't make any sense for him to keep up the pretense of his lifestyle at home. It makes sense for him to do that at an office, right. but not to have such a disgusting, horrible, ornate <laughs> <laughs> home in dis- disarray. Um, By the way, someone has been tracking yeah. those Easter eggs that were in that, like things in the house, because some mm-hmm. things are Easter eggs to things that have come before. And some oh things are gosh. Easter eggs that we haven't met yet, you know? And so people have yeah. been tracking as they pop up on the show, like little accoutrement and things in his house that that are mm-hmm. that are popping up. So I don't know, maybe in a future podcast, we'll try to track some of that stuff. Because I do think this show likes to put a clue right in your face that you don't know is a clue until they explain yeah. the, how it was a clue. And by the way, when I say about Kim not being in his life, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't doubt that Kim could be across town having frequent, like lunches with Jimmy where she says, what the fuck are you doing? I just am saying the decisions he makes as Saul Goodman that we know about later, it's hard to pick. If Kim is already sort of distancing herself from the the more unsavory side of his client base and why he has it, it's hard to picture her doing... Like, at this point, I can't picture the Kim that we see on the show being like the advisor to Saul that, that we might have thought she could have been. You know what I mean? Like a couple mm-hmm. episodes back, it almost seemed like she was the one saying, let's go to the dark side. But I really feel like she's going to maybe want to make a hairpin turn with this more legit stuff. I mean, it really could all hinge on Clifford Maine. Like if he's her ticket to getting donors and support for what she wants to do. And yet he's also a pawn in their scheme, their petty scheme to, you know, to get the money, but maybe she won't, she won't need the sandpiper money maybe. And if she doesn't need Mm -hmm. the sandpiper money, then what's the deal with Howard? Maybe then it's Jimmy who will say, no, we hate Howard. Let's do it. And she'll say, but I only hated Howard as a means to an end, even though I do think she doesn't like Howard. But I, I, I don't know. I think she's the more reasonable of the two of them. I think that this episode was finally me starting to agree, kind of. <laughs> that I mean, I, I think that they are showing now that her morality is really swinging in that direction. Yeah. Because she obviously has been the more... Um, I don't, opposite of self-serving, whatever that word is. She she wants to help people. She really gets joy out of helping people. We see that, but we also know she's not just like someone that Jimmy is stringing along on his schemes that's unwilling, that's passive. She is very not passive when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Um, and a lot of the stuff they do is pretty terrible, mm-hmm. but she is someone with a huge heart that really does want to help people. And I do think that this episode is showing that she is finally starting to say like, okay, maybe I don't have to do anything shitty anymore. Maybe I can just do only good stuff for people. And maybe I can uh, find a way to do good stuff for people without ruining a man's life. Right. Maybe I could just ask for the job in the department I want. Uh, instead of, you know, whatever they're doing to take down Howard in order to get it. Well, I mean, like, we saw her, like, her nervousness over that. Like, we, the, the the clicking heel and her, like, I think the scooting of the chair. I love the visual of her, like, swaying ponytail as she was scooting her chair. That was just, mm-hmm. they always find such an interesting way to, like, familiar actions. You know, they don't show the long shot of someone scooting their chair. They're going to show just their shoulders kind of jumping and then the the, the feet of the chair. Um, but I thought, you know, you can see her nervousness about that whole thing. She's very exacting even about the way she she does the hijinks. Well, yeah, she wanted to get her that table at just the right angle to make sure he yeah. saw everything. So she's very exacting about that. I just have I just have a feeling that when she turns, when she, if she turns a corner and says, I don't really want to do this anymore, I have a feeling that she'll be just as exacting and 
committed to that choice, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, as she has been to this choice. But but I kind of know what you mean about not, like, I'm still not ready to believe that she's going to give up on whatever her petty quest is against Howard. Like, in some way, this is her petty quest that Jimmy is just willing to go along with because he's like a joy boy or something, or he's just yeah. he's just spiteful enough. He, he he could, but he could be maybe convinced to take down just about anybody, you know. Or he could just find the the one more reason, the one more foothold to try to convince her. Yeah. Just this one last time, let's do it. Yeah, and then it all blows up. And it also is just really hard to imagine um, someone having a really good ending mm-hmm. like a. It, I don't. It, it's hard to not think that this is going to blow up in their face, especially with Clifford Bain. Yeah, right. Like that he's going to be a pawn up to a point, and then if they start turning it back the other way, it's going to become obvious like how 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 these things were done. Maybe not. I mean, who knows? Maybe Howard will be ruined, and there'll be no justice for Howard. But I have a feeling that yeah. pretty quickly he's going to start fighting back, and that it. it Certain things that they've done will fall apart under scrutiny. But if it makes mm-hmm. Howard look unstable or, you know, whatever they need to damage him, it might not matter if people believe the rumors. It might just matter that Howard lost a step, you know? Exactly. And if Howard finds out, it's one thing. But if Clifford finds out, it's a much, much bigger deal, especially for Kim. Yeah. I just have one more question for you, and then we can wrap this up. Mm-hmm. What kind of asshole moves a cone? I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, just everyone in Baltimore City when it snows. <laughs> You're trying to save your parking space. The, the plastic chair, the cone. People that don't live in <laughs> snowbound cities might not know this, but people who live in city areas where the snow it reduces parking because snow gets pushed to the side by snow plows. And so if you have a parking spot, you do you do guard it jealously. But I also yeah. have lived in the city and I'm, I also know that it's 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 the Wild West out there. So if someone takes my spot, that sucks. It sucks to be me. But people yeah. have started this practice of, I guess it's been around for decades. I, I'm not, I, personally, I'm not a fan of the cones. I'm not a fan of the cone or the or the chair. <laughs> like I have moved yeah. one before, but I have also moved one and then ha- come out and found an angry note on my car that made me a little afraid (laughs) (laughs) well and then the people that get that whole like wooden like street barricade where did you get that where do you keep that right in your home yeah these are questions i can't answer well maybe next time on on better call Saul, they'll address this this whole situation god i hope so (laughs) well you know we don't really have a sign off for the show becca but you and i are taken uh have taken lately to texting each other Mm. ug in the morning yeah and it just occurred to me when i was thinking that today i was like how do you pronounce ug because i feel like when i'm typing it it's definitely ug but when i say it i feel like it's more like yeah i when i read it i read an ug yeah but yeah, I guess I've never said "ug" out loud because I'm not a Peanuts character. <laughs> <laughs> well, until next time. Ugh. Ugh. For more episodes of Saul Searching and other podcasts like it, subscribe to FYIZ on your favorite podcatcher app. <laughs> <laughs>